Welcome to Holocaust Histories, the podcast featuring mind-boggling stories from the Holocaust, remarkable tales of heroism and horror that are guaranteed to amaze you. Season 1. In the prime of their lives and careers, boxers' dreams are snatched and replaced by nightmares. Boxing is no longer for money and pride, but for bread scraps and survival. Fighting now takes place in concentration camps. The winner lives another day. The loser is killed. Dive into the astonishing stories of boxers' resilience and courage in the face of incomprehensible terrors. Each episode features a boxer with a different nationality and a unique experience during the Holocaust. Some will live, some will die. They will all fight to survive. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. You can send any questions, corrections, and comments to holocausthistories at gmail.com. This episode contains graphic descriptions and sensitive subject matters. Listener discretion advised. What is done cannot be undone, but one can prevent it happening again. And Frank. This episode is a continuation from the last. It's recommended to listen to episode 5 before this. Here is the conclusion to the story of Teddy. The ZOW constructed a shortwave transmitter radio and sent information to Allied forces. The first reports of the Holocaust and death camps came from the ZOW in March of 1941. Teddy reported, So, after working hours, a lot of people, men and women, were brought in. They were ordered to be stripped together in the square in front of the crematorium. Then they were led to the gas chamber. One of the paramedics was climbing the roof and pouring gas through a hole in the roof. Then after an hour, the enormous fans were turned on. After some time, the dead bodies were taken out into the yard. I did not see the rest. I saw several times a thousand Jews, men and women, being brought in, marching to the gas. Many Allied intelligence chiefs dismissed the information as they believed it was too extreme. Paletki wanted the Allied forces to bomb Auschwitz, but his request was rejected. Some civilians living nearby the camp were recruited and delivered medical supplies and food to the ZOW. At Auschwitz, Teddy was recognized as a boxing professional and champion. Teddy's first fight was against the capo named Walter Dunning, nicknamed The Butcher. Before the war, Dunning was a German middleweight champion. Teddy was a bantamweight and weighed 30 kilograms less than Dunning. Dunning had already won 20 fights in Auschwitz, resulting in the 20 losers being killed. Now he was looking for a new opponent, asking inmates who wanted to fight. Teddy said yes. Both sported their carpenter work gloves, and the fight commenced. They traded blows and it was an even match for the first few rounds. Teddy then hit Dunning in the face with a left jab and blood ran from his face. Dunning stopped the fight as he was about to be knocked out. An inmate who witnessed the fight said, He was the smaller of the two, but he was agile and fast. He had an incredible punch, aimed right for the stomach, and knew how to duck his opponent's blows. He won the fight and got his bread and margarine. One SS guard won a thousand marks from betting on Teddy. Dunning respected Teddy's skills and asked what unit he would like to work in. Teddy decided on the Terflieger, 
a unit that takes care of livestock and animals. Teddy was now feeding cows and calves. He stole food which was more present in the Terflieger than his previous jobs. This also benefited his fellow inmates as he shared his extra food rations with them. Fighting was Teddy's opportunity to get food and survive. He continued to fight once or twice a week. He fought around 40 fights at Auschwitz, including wins against Wilhelm Meyer, a European middleweight champion runner-up, in 1927. He also faced Harry Steinem, a German boxing champion of 1922 and 1923. Teddy became known in the camp as the White Fog. Also a prisoner at Auschwitz at the same time was Teddy's first ever professional opponent, Antony Zortek. The two would not cross paths in the camp. Antony fought around 15 fights, winning all of them. Polish Catholic priest Maximilian Kolbe provided shelter to refugees and Jews in Nipokolanov, despite being labeled as an anti-Semite by some. He hit around 2,000 Jews and another 1,000 Polish refugees in the friary. The monastery was shut down by the Gestapo, and Kolbe was arrested. He was sent to Auschwitz as prisoner 16670 on May 28, 1941. A few days later, Teddy noticed a prisoner viciously beating another prisoner. The victim was Maximilian Kolbe. Teddy asked permission from an SS guard to fight the bully. He was granted permission and won the match. In July 1941, a prisoner escaped, which prompted SS Deputy Commander Karl Fritsch to select 10 prisoners. They were locked in an underground bunker and starved to death. Franciszek Gajonicek was selected. Kobe witnessed as he cried out, my wife, my children. Kobe then asked Fritsch to be his replacement, which was approved. He and nine others were jailed in an underground cell. He led prayers and was always ascetic and stoic. After two weeks with some drops of water to drink, only Kolbe survived. He remained for another week in the cell until August 14, 1941, when SS injected him with carbolic acid and killed him. In the summer of 1941, Poletki assigned Teddy to assassinate commander of Auschwitz, Rudolf Hess. Teddy sabotaged the saddle of Hess's horse, which resulted in a broken leg. Hess had a dog that was trained to attack Jewish prisoners. Teddy killed the dog with a broken scythe. He then cut up the dog and placed the meat in butter cans. He would later cook and eat it with other prisoners. Hess conducted an intensive search to find the culprits, but never did. In October of 1941, Nazi Germany launched Operation Reinhardt, named after SS General Reinhard Heydrich. The operation was directed by SS General Odilo Globichnik. Their objective was to murder all the Jews in Poland. A report to Himmler in 1944 clearly stated the four goals of Operation Reinhardt. The first was to resettle the Jews. The SS often used the term resettling, which was code for sending to concentration camps to be killed. The second goal stated to exploit the skilled or manual labor of some Polish Jews before killing them. The third goal in the report was to secure the personal property of the Jews, clothing, currency, jewelry, and other possessions. The last goal was to identify and secure alleged hidden and immovable assets such as factories, apartments, and land. The three main concentration camps that Polish Jews were sent to were Belzec, Treblinka, and Sobibor. By spring of 1942, the ZOW had over 1,000 members. 
Prominent members included Polish sculptor Zauri Donikowski and ski champion Bronisław Czech. Wiltold ultimately planned for the liberation of the camp. He hoped allies would drop in and free them. The ZOW trained for their chance to seize the camp from their guards at the hint of an allied rescue. The Gestapo, however, noticed the influx of resistance at the camp and killed a large portion of them. In the summer of 1942, Auschwitz physician Friedrich Antres injected Teddy with the typhus virus as part of a medical experiment. He was told it was vitamins but became suspicious when he started having a severe fever. He recovered two weeks later and went back to fighting. He was matched against Rotterdam Jew, Lien Sanders, a European boxing champion who gave boxing lessons to the SS. Sanders had a professional boxing record of 40 wins, 19 losses, and 16 draws. He had the accolade of never being knocked out. He wore the Star of David on his trunks. He was arrested and sent to Auschwitz after the people hiding him and his family reported them to the Gestapo. His wife and children were sent to the gas chambers and killed, as were his parents and seven siblings. Sanders became a capo and used his power to smuggle food from the kitchens and share with his inmates. Teddy and Sanders, two skilled boxers, fought a close match. Some say Teddy received his first loss and others say it was a draw. Neither men were killed at the end of the fight. They would have a rematch with Teddy being victorious. In Warsaw, the Nazis formed a division called Judenrat, a Jewish council which empowered 24 Jews to maintain order within the ghetto. The head of the division was Adam Chernyakov. On July 22, 1942, he would be ordered to compile daily lists of 6,000 Jews to be deported. They were to be sent to the newly operating death camp, Treblinka, located in the Warsaw district of the general government. He tried to have orphanages exempted from the daily list, but the SS denied the request. Chernyakov swallowed a cyanide pill and killed himself. He left a note to his wife that read, They demand me to kill children of my nation with my own hands. I have nothing to do but to die. Conditions quickly deteriorated in the ghettos. Decomposed bodies lay on the streets. Children screamed. Mothers cried. Nazis humiliated and beat Jews on a daily basis. Ringelblum wrote in his diary, A conspicuous apathy is apparent towards death which doesn't seem to make an impression anymore. People walk indifferently past corpses. Only rarely does anyone ask in the hospitals about the condition of their relatives. In addition to famine, the typhus epidemic is the most important preoccupation for the Jewish public. The typhus curve is constantly on the rise. The disproportion between the number of patients in hospitals and the number in private homes is explained by the fact that the hospitals, for a thousand reasons, have lost their medical character and have turned into houses of death. The Judenrat created the Jewish ghetto police and was responsible for them. This was about 4,200 Jews policing other Jews inside of the ghetto. They were allowed to carry batons. Some Jewish ghetto police used their power to steal food rations and force women to do sexual acts. The Jewish ghetto police were the last of the Jews from the ghetto to be deported to concentration camps. In 1942, between July 22nd and September 12th, an estimated 300,000 Jews were sent to Treblinka. Treblinka was originally established as a labor camp, but transformed to a death camp with the construction of killing centers that became known as Treblinka II. 
It was in a densely wooded area hidden from plain sight. It covered an area similar to that of 34 football fields. There were 8-foot-tall barbed wire fences and trees surrounding the perimeter. Four watchtowers 26 feet tall overlooked the camp. Between 25 and 35 SS guards were stationed at Treblinka too. Ten gas chambers were built disguised as shower rooms. On arrival, prisoners were stripped naked and their clothes and belongings collected, organized, and sent back to Germany. They were then forced into the gas chambers and told to clean. Poison gas was used, first monoxide gas and eventually Zyklon B. One of the buildings was built on a train platform in Treblinka. It was disguised as a small railway station with a wooden clock and made up rail terminal signs and schedules. The SS announced to the prisoners that they had arrived at a transit camp. Men were separated from women and children in a contained reception area. They handed over possessions and stripped naked. A fenced path led from the reception area to the gas chamber entrance, located in the killing area. Shower signs pointed ahead. Prisoners were prodded forward in what was known as the tube. The chamber doors were sealed and a large diesel engine installed outside the building pumped in carbon monoxide. Everyone inside was killed. Those who were too ill to reach the gas chambers were told they would receive medical attention at a small clinic. This fake medical clinic even displayed a Red Cross flag. There, the SS Corporal Willie Mentz killed the victims by gunshot in an open pit. The last transport to Treblinka from Warsaw left on September 21, 1942, with 2,196 Jews. Out of the 300,000 deported to Treblinka, only about 10,000 were selected for forced labor. Between July 1942 and September 1943, an estimated 925,000 Jews were killed at Treblinka too. The Jews who remained in the ghetto were being used to clear dead bodies and rubble. The rest went into hiding and others joined the resistance. By September 30, 1942, those trapped in the ghetto started to build fortifications and shelters for defense. Around 600 were built by January of 1943. Weapons were being smuggled into the ghetto and plans were being developed for an uprising. Resistance fighters were armed with pistols, grenades, and Molotov cocktails. A new resistance group would form in October of 1942, led by 24-year-old Mordecai Anilevich. He organized defense groups, meetings, seminars, secretly attended resistance groups in other cities, and founded the underground newspaper, Neged Hazarim. The first mass uprising in Warsaw was on January 18th of 1943. Twelve resistance members rescued a group of Jews being deported, and together they attacked the Nazi soldiers. The majority of the Jews and resistance fighters died, but Anilevich escaped. This was the first of a series of organized attacks. The ZOB constructed a network of tunnels, bunkers, and lookouts. Outgunned by the Nazis, the ZOB used wit and surprise. Anilevich wrote a letter to the people of the ghetto. It read, To the Jewish masses in the ghetto. On January 22, 1943, six months will have passed since the deportations from Warsaw began. We all remember well the days of terror, during which 300,000 of our brothers and sisters were cruelly put to death in the camp of Treblinka. Six months have passed of life in constant fear of death, not knowing what the next day may bring. We have received information from all sides about the destruction of Jews in the government general, in Germany, 
in the occupied territories. When we listen to this bitter news, we wait for our own hour to come, every day and every moment. Today we must understand that the Nazi murderers have let us live, only because they want to make use of our capability to work to our last drop of blood and sweat, to our last breath. We are slaves, and when slaves are no longer profitable, they are killed. Everyone among us must understand that, and everyone among us must remember it always. You must be prepared to resist, not to give yourselves up like sheep to slaughter. Not even one Jew must go to the train. People who cannot resist actively must offer passive resistance, that is, by hiding. Whoever defends himself has a chance of being saved. Find the courage in your soul for desperate action. It is no great art to live when life is given to you willingly, but there is an art to life just when they are trying to rob you of this life. Let every mother be a lioness defending her young. Let no father stand by and see the blood of his children in silence. We are rising up for war. Awake and fight. Not even one more Jew is to find his end in Treblinka. As long as the life of a Jew is still in danger, even one single life, we have to be ready to fight. Be prepared to act. Be ready. Hans Lukemeyer, a Nazi official at Neuengamme concentration camp, visited Auschwitz in the beginning of March 1943. There he recognized Teddy. The two had met at a boxing match in 1938, and Lukemeyer knew he was a talented boxer. He invited Teddy to transfer to Nuingame and box in the camp. Teddy accepted and was transferred on March 14, 1943. Teddy boxed capo Jimmy Cott, aka The Cook, a giant of a man who towered over Teddy. Teddy danced around the ring and hit The Cook with right-hand punches to the chin knocking him out twice and winning the match. On the evening of April 26, 1943, Poletki and two men broke into the SS patrol ship. They knocked out the SS guards on duty and cut telephone and alarm wires. They then escaped outside of the camp. Poletki wrote, A man fighting for his life can do more than he ever imagined he could. He ended up at a Polish resistance safe house operated by the same man, Thomas Serafinski, whose identity Poletki had taken. He joined the Polish resistance but struggled with severe PTSD. He suffered from night terrors and was writing day and night about the horrors he experienced. On April 19th, during the morning of the Jewish holiday Passover, the SS with about 2,000 troops attempted to deport the remaining Jews in the ghetto. Himmler planned the operation as a gift for Hitler, whose birthday was the next day. They planned to finish in three days, but faced fierce resistance. The SS managed to capture 25,000 Jews within the first week. Houses were burned block by block using flamethrowers and explosives. The resistance had built a command bunker underneath a house. It served as the ZOB's main post. It was connected to a complex sewage system. On May 7, 1943, a group of resistance fighters, including Mordecai Anilevich, planned to go into the sewers and search for an exit beyond the ghetto. As they set out, the bunker was invaded by the SS. The SS reported they had captured the deputy head of the Jewish military organization and was liquidated. Anilevich and 200 other resistance fighters were killed by the SS or by taking cyanide pills. The bunker then filled with gas and was destroyed. Six people managed to escape in the sewer system to the Womienki forest. By the start of May, the resistance was not fighting, rather trying to escape. 
The Warsaw Ghetto Uprising ended on May 16, 1943. 7,000 Jewish resistance fighters and 6,000 Jewish civilians died. Around half of them were killed by fire and smoke. Polish resistance commander Marek Edelman said, The sea of flames flooded houses and courtyards. There was no air, only black choking smoke and heavy burning heat radiating from the red-hot walls, from the glowing stone stairs. In August of 1943, Teddy fought Charlie Hottenbach, aka Hammerstrike. He was a professional German-American heavyweight boxer who weighed 96 kilograms, more than double of Teddy. Teddy connected with a ferocious hook to Hottenbach's jaw, and he was knocked out. His last opponent was a Russian soldier named Kostya Konstantinov. Teddy ended up fighting around 20 matches in Nuingame, winning all of them. He was transferred to a Nuingame subcamp and then transferred to Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. Following the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, 56,000 Jews were deported to Treblinka, most sent to the gas chambers on arrival. Between July 23rd of 1942 and October 19th of 1943, when the Nazis dismantled Treblinka II, approximately 900,000 Jews were killed. Treblinka I, the labor camp, operated until late July of 1944. 500 prisoners remained and were shot as the Soviet troops approached the area. The Nazis destroyed evidence of the camp existing and covered the ground with flowers and a fake farming site. They then fled the area. 70 Jews remained alive in the camp. The Allied troops entered Treblinka on August 16, 1944. The road leading to the camp was pitch black. 20 carts of human ashes were scattered by prisoners on the road every day. The road became known to the locals as the Black Road. After liberation, the locals searched the road for pieces of gold. Soviet war correspondent Vasily Grossman said, What remained were small pieces of bone in the soil, human teeth, scraps of paper, and fabric, broken dishes, jars, shaving brushes, rusted pots and pans, cups of all sizes, mangled shoes, and lumps of human hair. On March 7, 1944, Emanuel Ringelblum and his family were hiding. They would be captured by the Gestapo and all executed. Before his death, Ringelblum was able to bury documents and archives of the Warsaw Ghetto. Ringelblum wrote, It must all be recorded with not a single fact omitted. And when the time comes, as it surely will, let the world read and know what the murderers have done. On August 1, 1944, the start of a major uprising in Warsaw by the Polish resistance occurred. Approximately one million people were living in Warsaw in barbaric conditions when battle commenced. The numerous resistance groups joined together, forming the Warsaw Home Army Corps. It was commanded by General Antony Kruciel. Warsaw was now the main defensive center of the area and was essential to be controlled. The Nazis fortified the area and brought in extra forces. Winston Churchill attempted to send forces to help the Polish troops, but Stalin and Roosevelt declined. Nevertheless, he sent 200 supply drops, although 80% landed in enemy territory. By August 4th, the resistance had taken most of the city, but sustained heavy losses at around 30%. They also failed to capture key locations. The next day, the Nazis led a brutal counterattack in Vola that killed 40,000 people, with some estimates as high as 100,000. 
Himmler ordered troops to go house to house and shoot all civilians and burn their homes. The resistance managed to free 350 Jews from Goszowska concentration camp. The Polish resistance received little else other than the 200 supply drops from Allied forces. George Orwell wrote an article on September 1st, 1944, titled, As I Please. He was infuriated by the lack of support and by the way the media was portraying the battle. Since it seems nobody else will do so, I want to protest against the mean and cowardly attitude adopted by the British press towards the recent rising in Warsaw. As soon as the news of the rising broke, the News Chronicle and Kindred papers adopted a markedly disapproving attitude. One was left with the general impression that the Poles deserved to have their bottoms smacked for doing what all the Allied wirelesses had been urging them to do for years past and what they would not be given and did not deserve to be given any help from outside. Do remember that dishonesty and cowardice always have to be paid for. Don't imagine that for years on end you can make yourself the bootlicking propagandist of the Soviet regime or any other regime and then suddenly return to mental decency. On September 21, 1944, Himmler told Nazi generals, This is the fiercest of our battles since the start of the war. It compares to the street battles of Stalingrad. The battle between the Nazis and the resistance was even, until the Nazis began a heavy bombardment of the city. The resistance was defenseless, as hospitals were bombed. The Nazis were now in control. Much like the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, the Polish resistance forces were defeated and forced into hiding. A German report on September 23rd stated, The army has crushed the final resistance in the southern Vistula Circle. The resistance fought to the very last bullet. On October 2nd, 1944, the uprising officially ended with the surrendering of Polish forces. Germany promised to treat them in accordance with the Geneva Convention and to treat the civilians humanely. 15,000, including Wiltold Poletki, were captured and sent to POW camps. Around 6,000 resistance members remained hiding in the city and waited for another opportunity to fight. Another 650,000 prisoners were transported to the recently demolished labor camp turned transit camp Deutschgunslager 121. There was a mass shortage of water, food, toilets, and an abundance of disease. There were only nine barracks for the prisoners. Around 60,000 of them would be sent to concentration camps to be killed. Over the course of the Warsaw Uprising, approximately 16,000 Polish resistance fighters were killed and another 6,000 wounded. Between 150,000 and 200,000 Polish civilians died. Nazi house-to-house -house clearances and group evictions of entire neighborhoods led to mass executions. About 25% of Warsaw's buildings were destroyed. Nazi arson squads called the Brand Commandos and demolition squads called the Spring Commandos burned and exploded another 35% of the city, block by block. Himmler had told his SS officers, the city must completely disappear from the surface of the earth and serve only as a transport station for the Wehrmacht. No stone can remain standing. Every building must be raised to its foundation. Germany intended to turn Warsaw into a military transit station or an artificial lake. 
On January 17, 1945, the Soviet Allied forces arrived in Warsaw expecting a battle, but found an emptied and obliterated remnants of a city. The Nazis had abandoned Warsaw earlier in the month. Over 85% of the city was destroyed, an estimated 10,455 buildings, including 94% of the historical buildings. Approximately 1 million civilians lost all of their possessions. Material losses are estimated to be around 54 billion US dollars. Before the destruction, the Nazis shipped to Germany over 45,000 wagons filled with factory goods, equipment, artwork, and other valuables. Historian Alexandra Ricci said, The destruction of Warsaw was unique, even in the terrible history of the Second World War, and was the only time that Hitler actually put into practice the insane notion of erasing an entire capital city. The day after liberating Warsaw, Allied troops liberated Krakow. Auschwitz was liberated on January 27, 1945. Allied forces had yet to reach Bergen-Belsen, where Teddy was alive and imprisoned with around 60,000 other prisoners by April of 1945. Inmates were dying daily from tuberculosis, typhoid fever, typhus, dysentery, and starvation. April 15, 1945. The British troops led by the 63rd Anti-Tank Regiment and the 11th Armored Division liberated the camp. The SS guards that remained were captured and forced to bury the dead bodies spread throughout the camp. A member of the British Army stated, The bodies were a ghastly sight. Some were green. They looked like skeletons covered with skin. The flesh had all gone. There were bodies of small children among the grown-ups. In other parts of the camp there were hundreds of bodies lying around, in many cases piled five or six high. Between May of 1943 and April of 1945, an estimated 37,000 prisoners died in Bergen-Belsen. Among them was Anne Frank and her sister Margot. They were two of the 102,000 that were deported from the Netherlands and killed. Just 5,000 survived, including Anne's father, Otto. 12,000 survivors of Bergen-Belsen were moved to a British-established displaced persons camp located in a German military school barracks. Teddy was one of the survivors. By the end of the war, six million Polish citizens were dead, half being Jews. Two million Jews were killed in concentration camps and another one million inside Poland's ghettos. Wiltold Pilecki also survived the war, but fell victim to Poland's new communist-ruled regime and Soviet leader, Joseph Stalin, who quickly went from liberator to perpetrator. Pilecki was arrested and tortured by communist authorities in 1947, and then executed by gunshot to the head on May 25, 1948. On his way to being executed, he said, I've been trying to live my life so that in the hour of my death, I would rather feel joy than fear. Antony Tsvartsek survived the war as well, including a final death march from Auschwitz to Mauthausen in 1945. He left Warsaw in 1947 and moved to Radom, Poland. He won the Polish National Boxing Championship in 1948 and retired the following year and became a boxing coach. He died on January 15, 2004, at the age of 89. Polish resistance commander Marek Edelman survived the war and became a noted cardiologist. He continued to fight against fascism up until his death on October 2, 2009. Before his death, he said, One cannot be passive in the face of evil. 
An indifferent witness who has turned his head away is also responsible. He or she is tainted for life by the evil which they were trying not to see. One has to be with those who are beaten, regardless of who they are. You must give them shelter, you must hide them in the cellar. You cannot be afraid of this, and you have to be against those who beat them. After the war, Teddy joined Stanislav Maciek's Polish 1st Armored Division and organized sports for soldiers, including boxing. He fought 17 times, winning 15 and drawing twice. In March of 1947, Teddy testified in the Rudolf Hess trial. Hess was sentenced to death and executed by hanging on April 2nd. Teddy failed to restart his boxing career and went back to school in Warsaw. He earned a physical education degree and became a sports teacher and boxing instructor. He got married but divorced after nine years. He remarried and had a child named Tadish. However, this marriage would also end in divorce after a year of marriage. He then moved to Biesko Biala in southern Poland and met his third and final wife. He died on August 17, 1991, at the age of 74. Warsaw Holocaust victim Vladislaw Spilman had his story told in the 2002 film The Penist, starring Adrian Brody, who would win the Oscar for Best Actor. Teddy's story was made into a 2020 film called The Champion of Auschwitz. In 2021, Polish rapper Basti released a song called Teddy, honoring him. It features an animated music video created by Adam Kovalec. The link for the video will be in the description for this episode. Check out the Jewish Boxing Blog for a great resource on Jewish boxing. That's jewishboxingblog.com. You can follow Holocaust Histories on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. You can send any questions, corrections, and comments to holocausthistories at gmail.com.